It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like Sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, and welcome to a new podcast, The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello, and welcome to The Paddock and the Pavilion. Today, we are back to the race course. Aintree Racecourse, home to the world's most famous race. Today's guest is Suleika Varma, the clerk of the course at Aintree Racecourse, the regional head of racing for the Jockey Club in the Northwest, and the joint clerk of the course at Carlisle Racecourse. Suleika was appointed to the roles in December 2019, but owing to the pandemic outbreak in the spring of last year, she was denied the opportunity of organising the famous race. Hopefully, she will be able to put that right in about three months' time. And in today's podcast, she talked about her plans for this year's race, her own racing career, her memories of the great race, and the important issue of diversity in racing. Suleika is the right one for Aintree, and I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hello, Suleika. Welcome to the paddock and the pavilion. A happy new year to you. I hope it's not too late for that. And how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, it's um, considering the circumstances, I'm I'm pleased to be able to say I am well. Yeah. Great. Well, delighted to to speak to you and to have you on the show. What's it like to have one of the most important jobs in horse racing, being in control of the world's most famous race? Um, what's it like? Um, <laughs> that's an open question. Um, <laughs> it's it's a huge honour. It's unbelievably been nearly a year since I officially took up the role and I'm actually yet to run a Grand National which was not not the year um, anyone had planned really but um, I've been involved in the Grand National itself for the last uh, 10 years nearly 11 now assisting uh, initially when I was a trainee clerk of the course and then once I qualified uh, being involved in various roles um, around the race course during the, the three days of the Grand National meeting so I was sort of coming into a job that was fairly familiar to me you know it's helped hugely I know a lot of the team I know a lot of the the people who come in and help on 
for the for the big meetings as well. So there was there was a lot there's a lot of familiarity, but there's also been a lot to learn. So, but you must have been so disappointed about the uh, cancellation of 2020 race. Was there ever any consideration? I never read this about running it in the autumn. It it was talked about. Um, it was decided that you know the, the Grand National is the Grand National, and uh, it was felt that for a few reasons, partly to do with horses being fit enough in the autumn. Um, obviously, it's it's a, a race that asks a lot of, of our equine athletes, and we go a long way to ensuring that we have horses that are, are capable and qualified of competing. And it was felt that if we ran it in the autumn, there was the risk that horses hadn't already had a full season just about of being in training and also racing so that that it was it was considered but it was felt it, it wasn't appropriate for this race and how are plans going for 2021 uh, are you hopeful of crowds i think we rate we i'm we're a naturally optimistic team of people but i think there also has to be an element of realism um that you know we, we're seeing we're seeing the situation in terms of covid worsening at the moment um, so I think we just we're all just sitting tight and, and seeing how things develop. We're we're being flexible in our planning. Um, you know, the sincere hope is that we will run the race and the race meeting. Um, it's what goes on in the periphery that uh, is going to be the, the real challenge for us. So tickets are actually on sale at the moment, are they, for the meeting? I don't believe they're actually on sale. No, we've had a lot of people who transfer tickets from 2020 to 2021. So they've taken up a, a certain number of the ticket allocation. Um, and also we're, we've got a lot of hospitality booked as well. But again, it's everybody's just having to wait and see much, much as we are. But you had the opportunity of having those two meetings at the end of 2020 to uh, get bedded in as such yourself in the role. Yeah, I mean, they in, in some ways the. Um, for me personally, the, the cancellation of the Grand National was a blessing in disguise because it meant that my very first race meeting at Aintree wasn't going to be the Grand National meeting. I've had um, sort of three fixture warm up, um, including in December racing over the Grand National fences. And we, we basically run the Beecher meeting in December as a trial practice run for the Grand National meeting itself. So we have the same people in place, the same number of doctors and vets, ground staff. Um, and we run with the same the same procedures and protocols that we would in in April. Um, so it was it was great to get to get that under my belt as well. I mean, for this year, you must have like they always talk about having plan B, but you must have plan C, D, E, F and G, I think. It's exactly it. Yeah. And it's it's a, an ever moving feast um, as it is, I think, for anybody, you know, whether it's horse racing or any other sport, if you're planning a major event, and in the current climate you just you know back in december we had um, nearly 2000 people on course at aintree um to watch the racing and a few weeks later that wasn't happening to you know anywhere at all and we're all back behind closed doors so it just goes to show how fast things are moving and we're just yeah we just have to take each day as it comes yeah well let's hope we can get some crowds in there for for this year um what's your first memory of the race yourself um, for me, it was, I must have been, I think, nine years old and I was in Dublin with my parents. My dad was attending a, a conference. Um, he's, a, he's now retired, has been retired for about uh, 10, 12 years. But he 
was attending a, a neurosurgery conference and mum and I went with him because back in those days you always had a, a wives program it was called I think it be it certainly wouldn't be called that now because it'd be as many um, <laughs> probably husbands and wives <laughs> program as well but it was a sort of social um, social side of the event where um, the partners of those attending the the sort of seminars and uh, the main conference could go and do sightseeing at whatever city you were in. So uh, mum and I went along and, and we were lucky, actually, one of the tours was to the National Stud. And at the age of nine, and I still can't remember the name of the horse, but there was a, this big chestnut stallion who was brought out and shown to us. And as a nine year old, my first question when the stallion was brought out was, can I go and pat it? And the sort of the stallion man looked at me and looked at my mum and dad and sort of thought, mm, all right then. So I was one of the few people who actually gets to pat the stallions at uh, the National Stud. But but on that same trip, the Grand National was was on that weekend. And I remember sitting watching in uh, the hotel room and it, it was the first time I'd ever really watched racing. I'd always been into horses um, pester power, got my parents to let me learn how to ride. And I was, you know, I was very lucky that I was an only child. So I had these opportunities There weren't, you know, if I'd had brothers and sisters, it may not have been quite as easy for me. But that was, yeah, watching Mini Homer win was was the first, my first sort of view of, of what the Grand National was and how exciting it was. So now, so you, you, you got into horses by having a pony. How old were you when you had a pony? Gosh, I must have been probably probably about nine or ten actually it probably would have been around that time that that I got my first pony who was a, a big fat hairy grey pony called Bimbo um which is probably again not an appropriate name for a horse these days but um, <laughs> he was he was um he was great for me to learn up and he um he tended a lot of the time he wouldn't go anywhere too fast and all of a sudden he decided he wanted to go somewhere fast and I didn't have much say in the matter um but, but I had a lot of fun with him he was he was a great pony to get started with well I'm sure the national stud would be interested to know about um nine-year-olds patting their stallions <laughs> <laughs> and I read you you went to Durham University and you studied the classics it's not the usual route to the clerk of the course at Aintree <laughs> no I when I finished school I didn't really know what I wanted to do long term it was you know there's always the expectation I would go to university because I'd, I'd done well academically throughout my school years um, so I decided to opt for a course in a subject that I enjoyed and something that was open enough that it could it could lead to just about any career you know and unless I planned to go into the maths or sciences I was I was pretty safe with classics so um, I had ideas that I'm, I might go into journalism I had ideas I might go into law do a law conversion course I had I had all sorts of ideas but then uh, got bitten by the horse racing bug. So how did you first get started in racing I know you said you worked at um, Haydock Park as a trainee yeah that was that was actually quite a bit further down the line i um first my first exposure to racing was after i finished school one of my school friends her mum arranged work experience placements for local state school and she wanted to set the one up in horse racing but wasn't really quite sure how well it would work so both her daughter and, and i um were experienced riders but her daughter couldn't drive and this placement at Lucinda Russell's the only accommodation she had was away from the main yard so it needed somebody who could drive 
from where the accommodation was to the yard each morning. So um, my friend Lauren and I were sort of packed off to Lucinda Russell's for a week to to test out what it was like doing work experience at a racing yard. And actually, both of us were absolutely hooked. I went off to university that year. Uh, Lauren took a gap year and worked for Lucinda um, through part of that year as well. And then I went back and, and worked for Lucinda after I graduated. I was um, became her first racing secretary. She'd never actually had a secretary before. So I was, yeah, she was, she'd been doing all the administration for a 50 horse yard herself and was up till all hours in the morning doing invoicing and everything else. So wow. it was, it was good for both of us. It was a, a leg up into the, the industry for me and a, a great way to understand how a training yard works and be hands on with the horses and all aspects of the horses as well. So I used to ride out in the morning, then I'd be sorting out farriers, vets. Uh, I used to do some race planning, uh, used to do all the invoicing. Um, it was it was a really wide ranging role. So it was it was a great way for me to start. Sounds like it. And of course, another loose connection, although not at that time, with a, with the Grand National, with Lucinda <laughs> later training the winner. Uh, yeah, I mean, when when one for Arthur won, I was up in the um, the stewards uh, viewing box, which is is where the clerk of the course usually watches the the racing from, because it gives you a an eagle eye view for you to, as I refer to it, conduct the orchestra during you know during a race. And we were all sat there, and and Arthur crossed the line in front. And I had to sort of hold it in until we knew we'd got all the other horses back safe. All the jockeys were back safe. We'd located everyone. And then Andrew Tullock just turned to me and went, it's all right, you can scream now. <laughs> started jumping around the, the, uh, the steward's box. And uh, it was fantastic, you know, to see to see good friends of mine. The absolute elation that that victory brings was was just wonderful. And you went on the BHA graduation scheme. Were there many other females on the course when you went on yeah I think um we were probably about 50 50 at the time I think there was it must have been a group of about 14 of us um and it, it wouldn't have been far off half and half split male and female and and you know a good a good few of the people on the course in that year are are still working in the industry which is great and that led to you uh, working at um, quite a few different uh, jockey club courses as as clerk of the course as well yeah, so I um in twenty actually it would have been two thousand nine October two thousand nine I started as a trainee clerk of the course um with the jockey club um and they they take you they take on a trainee clerk with no not necessarily a job at the end of it they want to train you up and then in it can take up to two years depending on the individual um but within a month or two of me starting the clerk of the course at Market Rays in Nottingham decided he was moving on so there was really a job for me ready for me to move into um, so I had a couple of interviews with um, the chairman and the managing directors of the two courses at the time they all agreed that they they wanted to offer me the job so having started training in in October by January uh, I was already in place at Market Rays in Nottingham I uh, hadn't quite qualified. I didn't qualify until March, but um, I was I was basically running the racing and the race courses, but with a qualified clerk there each day, just keeping an eye on things. Um, so it was for me, it was it was rather a fast track qualification in about six months, mm. um, as opposed to most people who would take 18 months to two years to get the training done. And you've moved on. You've done Nottingham, Huntingdon, which is quite local to me. And 
uh, Warwick as well. Warwick wasn't it? as yeah, well. Yeah. 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 And your last job before you started at uh, Aintree was at Hamilton. Yeah. So um, I moved up to Hamilton Park about uh, was nearly five years ago now. Um, I was there for four years. Um, the opportunity came to work for an independent race course rather than within the jockey club which sort of for my own personal development was was a really great opportunity um you sort of move away from the the i suppose the protection of a large company where i was a considered a junior member of the, the sort of clerk of the course racing side of of the team um to being the only clerk of the course and answerable straight to the chief executive and it was it was very very different it, it was it was a really steep learning curve that the decisions that you make as a team are the you know that that's it that's the decision you make for that race course and for that business mm. and it was it, it was a really great experience especially as I say in terms of my own personal development to it was a higher level of responsibility than I'd had up to that point and I was also therefore working at a higher level within the industry as a whole um, and started representing the Scottish race courses on various committees and organisations. Um, so, I, you know, I, I have no doubt I, I, I wouldn't be in this role now and I wouldn't have been ready for this role if I hadn't spent the time at, at Hamilton Park in between. That sounds like a good career move for you. It was, yeah. I think in terms of, of experience and broadening one's horizons it was it was definitely worth it now have you encountered many barriers to your career because of your sex and and being part of the BAME community um I I'm lucky to say no um I have had a very you know it's not it's not been um absent from my career um small elements of racism and sexism but I was I suppose my, I was lucky in that my parents never brought me up to know I was any different. In hindsight, I, I think there was maybe in a school of, what, 170 pupils that I went to, there were maybe five or six who weren't white. That gradually changed, actually, as, as the school became more international. We had a lot of pupils came from, from China and the Middle East and places like that as well. So, but I... I was never brought up to think I was any different. I was never told that, you know, your your skin might be a problem as you grow up. You know, you just we never we never talked about it. We never worried about it. We, you know, I I I am what I am, and if anyone's got a problem with that, then it, as far as I'm concerned, it's their problem and not mine. So no, I'm I'm pleased to say, uh, unlike probably some of my colleagues from ethnic backgrounds who or minority ethnic backgrounds who are perhaps maybe 10, 15 years older than me, who I think did have some pretty awful experiences. Um, I, I haven't had that directly to my face in, in the same way. Whether it goes on in the background, I don't know. Um, and I don't, I suppose I don't really want to know. But no, I've, I've been very lucky. I've been very well treated and, and a lot of people have helped me get to where I am today. Well, thank you for answering that. I know you're a very keen supporter of the Step on Track initiative with the BHA can you tell us more about that yeah that was um, a fantastic um, pilot this year pulled together by uh, Sean Samara from the BHA he is a a huge racing fan and and is very proud of the fact that he now works in the sport and is very keen to 
ensure that people of um, ethnic minority backgrounds realise that racing is open and available to them and that the wide range of opportunities there are within the sport I think um, and this actually I think goes often beyond just ethnic minority groups I think racing as a whole perhaps needs to do even better at selling itself as a career opportunity I think there's a lot of people working very hard in in trying to reach out to to schools and colleges and young people but I do think there's a view that if you want to get into racing you have to be a jockey or you have to be a trainer you have to be small and light you have to be able to ride when mm. actually you know those of us who are in the sport know that none of that is true um you know i i often say you know the, the chefs there's some amazing chefs that work in the restaurants on our race courses but they wouldn't be there doing that job if it wasn't for the horses and it wasn't for the racing so while they they're a chef and they're they're working with food and their qualifications are in in food prep and food and and um you know preparing these these superb dishes actually they work in racing you know and i think um you know marketing sales there's there's so much maintenance you know building maintenance um health and safety you know the, the sites that we're running need to have safety certificates they need to be properly maintained and that doesn't you know you can be a fan of racing but you don't have to be able to ride a horse to do it um, so I, I think I think we we need to keep telling the outside world about what what an amazing career you can have in racing in so many different um, different aspects. And it is important for the sport to have a more diverse audience as, as well. Yeah, I think I think it's it's essential for the future of the sport. If if people see us as a closed shop, they're not gonna they're not gonna come knocking on the door. We need to invite them in. Just going back to the Grand National, I've, I've read that you've been on the front foot with welfare issues. Um, how do you deal with um, some people who claim that the race is dangerous? I think um, I think the, the changes that have been made to the race over recent years have revolutionised it. They've ensured its survival. Um, I think we've now proven that the race is safer by having run it you know having raced over these new fences um some of the bits of ground that have been leveled um the, the slight alterations the improvements to the irrigation system to ensure that we're we're racing on on safe ground on the on the slow side of good ground um i think all of those things have have really made an enormous difference and an entry as a as a whole prides itself on leading the way on on equine welfare and we work closely with the likes of um the rspca and and particularly world horse welfare and other other equestrian sports as well because we're we're all we're all in it because we love the horses and we all want to see them looked after and, and, and coming home safe but equally, they are they're athletes and and they're bred and trained to compete. And these horses love to compete. You know, we we, all, we see that every day on a race course. So we want to give them the safest safest opportunity for these athletes to prove how good they are. Thank you. And any plans for any more meetings at um, Aintree? I mean, there's there hasn't been a flat meeting since 1976. Anything like that could happen again? Or? Um, unfortunately, the, the layout of the track in the stands would make flat racing nigh on impossible these days. The bend 
uh, sort of as they come up over the winning line and then turn back into the across into the back straight would just be too tight for flat racing now it would it would involve knocking down stands and and all sorts so as it stands uh flat racing is not an option at Aintree I'm afraid and it will just remain the um the uh October December and the and the um April meetings yeah. yeah we're we're very conscious of um protecting the ground at Aintree um those three days in April are so crucial that we um we want to ensure that we we, we protect our, our surface and, and provide the very best racing surface that we possibly can. Um, so we, we're, we're very conscious of that. So we do race. We race in April. We also have evening meetings in May and June um, on, a, on a slightly lower scale than our other meetings in terms of the, the quality of the racing. But they're, they're popular in a normal year. They're popular with public coming to attend and usually enjoy a, a concert after racing as well. So there, those days are are crucial to the the success of the race course. Um, but but you know, for for us the the Grand National, it's it's the pinnacle, and we, and we want to make sure we're producing the best ground we possibly can on those those days in April. Yeah, we forget sometimes that the Jockey Club is one of the biggest bookers of um of talent, you know, musical talent in in, in the country. Yeah. In in a normal yeah. year, yes. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, as we all know, the last twelve months have been a bit different. But yeah, we're um, we, we put on some some pretty impressive acts and some fantastic shows. Now you've just secured um, a five-year um, extension to the sponsorship with Randox, and you've also got the prospect of Tiger Roll going for um, a third successive win, albeit in four years. This year's race should be a cracker. Yeah, and I think even last year's race was shaping up to be really exciting. You know, beyond Tiger Roll, there were some some the potential for some great stories in there but yeah I mean I, I think everybody would would love to see Tiger Roll go for a third Grand National and I think um, even without a crowd the roof would probably be blown off if um, if he did win a third one um, let's just hope he can he can bounce back from his his run in the cross country at Cheltenham and and we, we see him back here in April and of course there's an extra week gap this year because of Easter so um, even better quality of horses potentially with Cheltenham being three weeks, an extra week before the race. Yeah, I mean, I think um, there was a very concerted effort. It, it goes back to the sort of welfare conversation we had earlier that um, to attract a higher quality of horse to the race. Um, and, and that has, has paid dividends uh, to an incredible extent. Um, so I think, yeah, the three week gap, I think, gives an even greater opportunity to see the very best horses coming and competing. And finally, uh, personally, where would you like to see racing um, diversity-wise, say, in five years' time? Oh, gosh. Um, I think I I would like to see more young people from ethnic backgrounds coming into the sport and staying in the sport. I think one of our greatest challenges is, is turnover of staff at a junior level. Um, I think because there's a limited number of senior roles in the sport anyway, in whichever, you know, okay, maybe take apart sort of the, the training and, and jockey ranks, but on a administrative side, there's not a huge number of senior roles available. And I think a lot of young people from all backgrounds come into the sport are really excited to be involved. But as they develop and as they progress, 
they often find that there's no opportunity for them to move onwards and upwards so a lot of them then leave the sport uh potentially go into other sports or you know into other industries and i'd like to see there be more opportunity to progress um but also perhaps a drive to attract these people back again in the future i think i think it's very easy to become disheartened and and i think actually the same often goes for stable staff I think the opportunity for progression can often be be difficult to see and difficult to follow, especially if you as you get older, you know, you're perhaps not as physically capable or as keen to be riding out every morning. You know, as as your body gets older, I think um, all of us feel those aches and pains a bit more. So I think career progression um, is something that really needs to be looked at. I think we we can get people into the sport. I think the challenge is keeping them. And um, personally, once the. um the nationals out of the way so to speak do you ever get some spare time to do things yourself and have you got another sport that you're passionate about um well yeah in, in normal times I, I play a lot of tennis and this job works quite well because the main sort of tennis league season local league season is through the summer so um once the grand national's done i, I have the opportunity to to play a few matches through the summer but um as it is, we we managed a few matches uh, with my new club uh, through the summer this summer, but it was uh, closed down again fairly quickly uh, come sort of September October, which was a real shame. So yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that we can get back on the tennis court before too long and and maybe have at least a, a full summer of matches this year. Well, let's hope so. Well, thank you very much for being on the paddock and the pavilion. I will be tuning in like i think over 500 million other people um, at 5 p.m on saturday april the 10th and good luck with that and thank you very much again for being on the show thank you very much thank you for listening to the paddock and the pavilion you can download the show on apple Podcasts, soundcloud stitcher and spotify follow us on twitter and facebook at the pad and pad Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.